AskGunQuestions.com is a website that we built back in 2007. And since then, for the last 15 years, people have been able to ask questions of simple to advanced nature, and we attempt to answer them in different ways over the years. Join us now as we start a new series to answer gun questions. And welcome, everybody, to our Ask Gun Questions show. As it said there, we uh, go live on Saturdays to offer the experience of lifetime gun owners to anybody that asks a gun question. So we've got Clover Tech joining us from Texas this week. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Good to be here. And I just set this show up like five minutes ago, sent these guys the email. So uh, Tony Simon also joins in often. And if he's around, he'll uh, get that email and join in. And everybody who's joining us live. So we got GI Joel out there and Woods. Looks like he's out there. Thanks for joining. We're sharing the screen here. We've got Clover Tech's YouTube channel up on there. I'm going to copy the link of that and put it out there. It's also in the description of the video if you look down below. Clover's been doing YouTube for a while. He's been a gun owner his whole life. He's a grandpa, so he's been around for a while. Tony is, uh, or in, in Clover's in Texas. You've been in Texas your whole life, right? Sure. That is there. correct. Yeah. Tony's out on the East Coast. He's in New Jersey now. I forget where he grew up, but uh, grew up on the East Coast. And now he's in New Jersey. And a while back, he uh, looked around and thought, I don't like the way the New Jersey laws are. So he started to work towards um, making awareness to change, help get people to change that. And uh, again, lifetime gun owner living in New Jersey, dealing with the infringements there. I am in Arizona, also a lifetime gun owner. And YouTube person and do stuff online. So uh, I forget what was the particular impetus to this version of the Ask Gun Questions project, but uh, I've been having a lot of fun with this. I forget what episode we're on, episode 29. So we've been doing this for about a half a year, a little bit more than half a year now. On the regular, we haven't missed too many weeks. So the way it works is we've got a website, like I said in the beginning of the intro there, we have a website called Ask. Yeah, I'm not sure what happened. Sounds like 2017. Oh, did I glitch out there? My, my yeah. mouse glitched. Yeah, you too. glitched out. You said uh, as soon as you switched screens, you glitched out. So. Oh, okay. So um, that's my computer, I think, not my internet this time. But uh, anyway, we've been answering questions in different ways since 2007. And I think, uh, well, about whatever I just said, 29 episodes or whatever, we've been doing it this way. And it's been a lot of fun. So when you join live, Feel free to ask questions. Uh, as you can see, I just opened up the uh, spreadsheet. We've got a bunch of questions that have come in pretty much since last week. So we got a bunch of stuff to dig into. Before we get going into the questions, though, I just figured since I haven't chatted with Clover in a bit, you got anything that uh, you wanted to bring up or anything that uh, you're saving up for today? Uh, no, nothing. Nothing comes to mind. Nothing. That also gave me a an opportunity to go get something to drink real quick. Nothing. Slurp nothing. some of this coffee. Yeah, nothing gun question related anyway. Since we've been doing this show now for a while, I consider it part of my routine. So um, what I'll do is every once in a while I'll think of something like, oh, that'd be good to do a topic for Saturday. And then I immediately forget it. So I'm going to, I've got this thing called Gilded I'm using. It's sort of like um, Discord, except people like it. And I've got a kind of a task list over there that I'm going to start to put things in and uh, 
because I've had a couple of ideas. We've done a couple of themed Ask Gun questions before. I don't want to make it all themed, but I've had a couple of them that I wanted to run past you guys and see what you guys thought about some of the theme ideas. No theme today, so let's dig in. Uh, this first question came in from our on the 22nd. What might, I don't know what this means. What might sites would be compatible with the Stoger ST39C? Probably means night sites now that I read it. So what night sites would be compatible with the Stoger ST9C? Oh, no, I'm saying that wrong. Stoger STR9C. Are you familiar with this gun off the top of your head? I am not. Me either. So I'm looking it up. Oh, so basically the question, though, is asking us what sites that glow in the dark, that's what a night site is, what kind of uh, sites that glow in the dark are going to be compatible with this gun? So starting from just the basic question without the STR9 in there, we're talking some kind of interface with the gun. Usually it's called a dovetail or something like that, and it's an, just an, a mechanical interface that's been around for a long, long time. They use a standard size. I don't know if it's required. It's just that a couple of brands started building things in a size, a gun comes along and says, well, we can make our own size or we can just use the same size that that company's already using. And that's how I think established sizes came around. Anyway, they're asking which size, what type uh, would you use in this? Now, there's other considerations. So with that general, you'd probably put a lot more night sights on guns than I have. Uh, what would you, or now that you see the gun, you know anything about it? You want to add anything to that? Um, you know, for me, I would go, you know, I would probably go with, uh, I would probably go with something from excess sites or probably something from, um, who am I thinking, uh, excess sites, night vision or high vis, um, you know, if it was me, quite honestly, um, I don't know if that has a blacked out rear, I don't know what the, the thing is with it, but, um, you know, I would go, you know, definitely, definitely with a, uh, with a front. I don't know that I would necessarily change the back, but if I was going to change, typically I just, I just change the front. That's me. Ugh, it says fires without magazine on it. That's sad. That's, that's uncomfortable. Somebody decided that would be a good idea for legal, I guess, because there's not a magazine disconnect in it. Um, what's Stoger? Is that German or does it just sound German? Stoger is, uh, Italian, I think. Oh, really? So we're looking at a pretty good close up of the sites here. So there's the channel the perpendicular to the slide that cuts in and then the slide rides in that channel. You can squish it back and forth and usually set it in place with some kind of Loctite, uh, goop that goes in there and hardens. And then, uh, Holds it in place with like a chemical, uh, with a mechanical bond from a chem from a drying chemical. Now this one, you can even see on this one how there's some gap in the dovetail because in real life, just because you have a dovetail shape doesn't mean you fill it. You want to fill it, right? You want to get, you want to use some of the surface of it, but you definitely don't necessarily need to fill every point in it. So you can even see how the site itself doesn't try to fill the points inside the dovetail cut. And then you can see how there's a little bit of a gap here where it's not trying to ride the top of the slide either. But anyway, so this is, uh, I'm assuming, the, the stock site. I don't know if you've played with these guns before, but I'm assuming it looks like the stock site. I can't imagine why they'd put up a picture without them. 
So what yeah. that's telling us, and this is a good one because it's a picture in like a tan color, or like a whatever they call it, FDE now. So, uh, or whatever cool new term is for tan. But you can, with the two-tone, you can totally see from this angle how that, that rear slide is going in perpendicular with that dovetail. And then you can also tell that there's a channel there that's significant so that the physical makeup of the slide is creating a channel in the back which then guides your eyes to the blade in the front and you can see that white thing now for somebody that doesn't know you can tell pretty obviously somebody who's paid attention to looking at gun sites before this is either paint or maybe some other application but it's very it's not a hole and it's not a hole drilled in there and it's not a hole filled up with anything it really just looks like a piece of paint on the stair maybe even a sticker or something on there on a probably just a piece of metal so I think what Clover was saying is get a glowing front, leave your back just dark, blacked out. Right. Yeah. So I don't, I wouldn't. Or I mean, even if, even if the back has dots or, you know, whatever. Um, yeah. But not illuminated. They're probably just two white dots or two yellow yeah, dots. Yeah. Typically, I don't mess with illuminating the rear. You don't, you don't necessarily need the rear in a, quick self-defense situation you're paying more attention to the front yeah so that's a that's definitely a preference versus you know application oh, yeah. they make different kind of shovels for a reason they make different kind of spoons and knives and stuff for a reason and here's the thing you can, you know there's a bread knife and there's a meat knife you know like a knife for cutting up a critter like it's a really substantial kind of bowie looking blade and then a bread knife is going to be a flat braided some corn really thin so that it doesn't destroy the bread, right? But in the pinch, you could use either bread knife on each other. It is an ideal. It's not quite perfect, but it's going to work. And that's sort of how it is with guns. Somebody comes along and thinks, I need something to do cutting bread. So I'm going to make this, you know, accessory for my gun really thin and serrated. Somebody else comes along and goes, well, I've never cut bread before, but that's going to work perfect for my sausage or whatever, like what I'm cutting. And now that person's like, well, I didn't make it for that, but go nuts, right? Let's, but anyway, so we get that sort of thing going on. Because then that person who's got the bread knife cutting their salami with it runs around acting like it's a salami cutting blade. And, you know, it never was, but it can be. So nobody's going to complain until somebody comes along and goes, you know, it's a bread knife. And then there's a right. big debate. Right? So, um, and the thing is, it's not like a big deal until something like, well, I need to cut a hundred salamis or a thousand salamis. And here I come with my bread knife. No, now let's talk about why a salami knife is better, right? Cause it's going to be more durable. It's going to last longer or whatever. So I think there's some element there. And honestly, I think the biggest thing to take away from a lifetime gun owner is that we're talking about lightning strikes and we're talking about people who have to live with the lightning rod, right? The whole life and the lightning strike may or may not ever come. So realistically, being prepared for the worst lightning disaster that's ever fathomed, not just the worst one that's ever happened in your area or the worst one that's ever happened that you're aware of or in your lifetime or anything. You're taking the worst one that's ever possibly going to happen and you're planning for that and you're going to walk around with that lightning rod and all that and you're going to build a place that can handle that lightning rod. You can do it. We're free to do that. But you know, what I mean, it's overkill in a lot of ways because there's just as many people that are never going to have a lightning rod live their entire lifetimes and their still children's lifetimes and think of you as being weird for even considering a lightning rod, right? Actually, I like that lightning rod thing because I think that's a, kind of apt in a lot of ways. A lot of people don't have a lightning rod and don't consider themselves at risk, right? Because they don't get hit by lightning every day. 
when they get hit by lightning, people are going to laugh at them and go, you could have had a lightning rod. But I don't know, I've never heard that one before. But uh, yep. to, uh, to Woods' point, yeah, I mean, uh, Stoger, Benelli owns Stoger. Stoger also imports for Uberti. All of that's Italian. Um, the STR9 might be might be made in Turkey. That I don't know for, for a fact. Um, I would, my guess would be the shotguns, the Stoger shotguns are made in Turkey. Um, well, we can tell, I'm sure, by flipping it over. We just have to look at a picture from the other side. Yeah. If the one side said fires with the magazine, the other side's going to say something. Right. Wait, what side did I look at? I looked at that side, so I need to get a good picture of this side. Oh, yeah, we're seeing it. Made in Turkey. I can see it already. Nice. Okay. Well, there you go. Not all of them are, though. Imported by Stoger Industries something auto keek? No. Acro tech? Open image, a new tab. Atco Keek. Yeah, that's exactly what it says. That's weird. Oh, Maryland. That's the name of the place. Imported by Stoger Industries, A-C-C-O-K-E-E-K, -E -E Maryland. Echo Keek. I'd never heard of that word before. Have you ever heard that? Nope. Echo Keek. I'm almost positive that's a Native American word. Uh, that's kind of cool. Echo Keek. All right. I like that town now. So if there's nothing... There's one, it's nine millimeter, so it's got that going against it. It's got its serial number written on the barrel, which I think is ridiculous, but it says a Kokik, so that's kind of cool. All right, well, so to answer this person's question, uh, it's a brand new gun, so there might be sites being made for it. If it's using a proprietary mounting like number, you know, dimension, then you're going to be able to scab sites from like maybe a different model, like a Glock or Smith and Wesson or a SIG or something which is normally what they would do, right? Nobody in their right mind is going to start a new gun company and go, you know what I'm going to do? Make sites in a completely different measurement dimension so that everybody has to make sites for me. And no one who buys my gun can ever get sites made until the, the secondary manufacturers decide to make them in this dimension unless they buy something oversized and modify it, which for sites is actually kind of weird when you think about it. You're buying something to be very consistent and then you modify it to make it unique. Then might work, but you might have just screwed up the accuracy of it or the consistency of it, right? right? So you guys are also talking about some of the other stuff. Do we dig into that stuff, or should we just get on to the next question? Oh, we can just, I can just do a quick mention on the only thing was uh, Joel out there was talking about the, did it have a top extractor claw? And it's like if you, if you can look on the side, you can clearly see from the side where the, the, you can see the barrel the extractor is on the slide that top is going to be my guess is going to be a, a loaded chamber indicator that's going to tilt up mm -hmm. it has to be what it is because nobody's going to try to fight gravity on a gun that has a side ejection port at least i've never seen that happen before it would be physics would be in your way all the time yeah but loaded chamber loaded chamber indicators on top have the stupid idea the stupid concept that you're going to rub your hand against the top of your slide in some sort of manipulation that's stupid so it's made well that and you're looking at your sights on the top already right uh, but that's i i understand what you're saying but that i don't see that happening since it's down on the top it's like between your sides you'd have to move yeah. your gun out of the way and again that's a training scar that's a, a horrible thing to ask your operator to do to comply with what the bureaucracy thinks is a good idea and that's a great indication of it nobody wanted a loaded loaded chamber indicator it just makes more parts and more cuts on your gun it costs more to cut all those little cuts out 
find that little piece, put it all together, assemble it, deal with all the operation issues of that thing that it brings, have to move around it. Now you can't put something else there because it's there. If something else happens in the future where think about red dots or think about optics. Um, even, even let's talk about this for a second, because this is something that we can bring to the table that new people don't even think about. They just, just assume they just are comfortable thinking that the world's always been like this. Back in the day, you bought the sites you got, period. There was no dovetails or nothing. If there was a dovetail, it was to make the site adjustable, but it was not to be able to take your sites off and put other sites on. No, no manufacturer ever thought of that. I'm guessing sometime in the 70s, 80s, when everybody started getting into competition and police started paying more attention to their guns, that's probably when aftermarket sites came around, when people started to have the ability to create the things. And there was a couple of places that would make guns that you could mill out a channel, a, a dovetail. You started to see them happen. But, you know, fast forward, guns just had blades on them. Now guns have channels cut into them so people can put red dots and stuff on them. Now people are putting stupid red dots on their pistols, right? Who thought about red dots on pistols five years ago? They existed, but no one really thought they were a thing. Ten years ago, I mean, if there was one on there, it was a Yahoo goofy one-off thing that everybody laughed at. So in that world, somebody might have put a loaded chamber indicator right in the way of where a red dot's going to be. Now that might, you know, let's, let's try to rewind to the 1980s. Somebody thinks a loaded chamber indicator is, is the shit because now it's going to make all these gun haters think that this gun is more safe. So it's a perfect idea. Let's just load it up with safeties, right? But then the gun becomes semi-popular. And, the, and all of a sudden red dots come along and now they can't put a red dot on because they got their loaded chamber indicator there. Now they have to go back to some basics and start redesigning their gun and redesigning the whole marketing scheme and the whole education thing about where they're, you know, our loaded chamber indicator is so good. So that's one of those things that I can't see putting that. I guess I started that whole thing with, I can't see putting a loaded chamber indicator there unless they were just, a, you know, dealing with, uh, yeah. California laws, Maryland laws, all these stupid stipulations that require it. And they figured it's just easier to put it there than have to make a model without it and all that kind of stuff. Well, optics on a handgun anyway, with the exception of hunting, hunting with a revolver that's been around for quite some time, putting a scope on a, on a revolver. Uh, oh, for forever, hunting. Yeah. But, um, you know, as far as any other type of putting optic on any semi-auto or anything like that, uh, you know, and I, I pretty sure it was a revolver but you remember tango and cash you remember the laser sure uh that was as big as the gun and if, if you know anything about that uh i've actually seen one of those units and the the, the laser itself weighs as much as the gun <laughs> as the revolver and the and it has a cord that goes down to a battery pack you wear on your belt <laughs> mm -hmm. so it's it's crazy how everything's come along and now it all fits and you know what i mean it all fits at the rear of the slide in a what one inch less than one inch by one inch package so pretty exactly. crazy and back then because it was so big they just went ahead and made like the grip panels be you know you take off the grip you create a, a thing that holds everything and just integrate it as the grip panel so it wasn't a big deal but then like what you're talking about those lasers you literally had to shove a lot of light through a gas like literally maybe some kind of a crystal but usually some kind of a you know a container of gas in order to get the light to become the focus laser nowadays they shove the led through a crystal so all that is much smaller same principles but much smaller and, and less power 
so less battery, less size, and now they can think, well, let's put it on a, you know, on the, the site plate uh, dovetail or whatever. Okay. You know, we can put it all on such a small container. Yep. But yeah, that's. Yeah. So Tony jumped in. We were talking about the Stoger STR9C. Do you have any experience with that one by any chance? Knowing anything about what night sites would be good for it? Was the question? No, not at all. I don't think I've ever actually. I think I might have handled one once, but that's it. Uh, right, at a gun shop because I saw it and it wasn't expensive, but it looked really modern. You know what I mean? So let me, I'm going to take that as an opportunity to sidetrack here because we only got like six questions. We should be able to handle these. Um, you guys have been around forever. I've been around for a long time. I I can remember, and I think we've talked about this before. So I think we're all in the same place. And in, in like the 80s, all we had was magazines, periodicals. We could go to the store and get them. Or if you went to the range or a gun shop, you might be able to get like an old issue. Like especially if you went with your parents to the gun shop, uh, they might be like, oh, yeah, take that issue home. No worries. Because they didn't care. And that, you know, got you more interested in asking questions next time or something. So we had these um, uh, magazines to look at. And if you, a lot of times the magazines would be kind of like buyer's guides or like this year's everything that was coming out this year. And you'd just see a little picture, kind of like when we're looking at the internet nowadays. And you'd just sit there thinking about it. And then maybe if you went to the gun shop, they'd have one and maybe you could look at it, especially as a kid, you weren't guaranteed to look at one, but you may, maybe you could get a hold of one to look at it. Or as you got older, maybe you could check one out if your shop had one. And if you're very lucky, a rental shop might have one for rent, but usually, you know what I mean? If it's, if it's the mainstream gun, yeah, they're going to have it for rent. If it's the brand new gun that everybody wants, maybe they'll have that for rent. But if it's the kind of weird gun, they're probably not going to let you have it for rent. So we just didn't have a lot of options. You had to look at stuff. Nowadays, it's different. Now you can find rental places that'll probably have one of everything, or you can probably, even in a region for sure, but in a town, sometimes you'll find at least one gun shop that has a lot of options or the kind of shop that says, if I'm really interested, we'll let you shoot it no matter what, You know, just a round or two if you really want to shoot a gun, even if we don't have one in for rent. So in other words, nowadays, or maybe you can just find somebody online and shoot the gun. So now it is possible to fiddle with every single gun out there and maybe even pull triggers on them. Now, I'm not even going to bring in things like industry events like SHOT Show Media Day or something where literally everybody brings stuff. And if you've got the time and ability, you can pull triggers on everything, like literally, and ask questions and stuff. So my, my thing is, my question is for you two guys with that scenario, and we're all that old and we all live that pretty much some version of that. At what point did you quit trying to pull triggers on every gun that came out? Or are you still trying to pull triggers on every gun that came out? I think for me, it was probably around eight or something that I figured out. I don't even care about like half the new guns anymore. So I'm going to quit attempting that. Because for a long time, I was like, oh, wow, I can pull triggers on everything. I'm going to. Yeah, there's quite a few. I mean, I. I did, don't don't get me wrong. I mean, if it's something that I'm interested in, a lot of different things, so I pull a lot of triggers. But um, you know, if you if you take like industry day at the range, you know, shot show or you know some type of event like that, the gathering, whatever, right? Um, I've usually got a list. I mean, there's so much only so much time in the day and everything else. So you know, there are things that that get left behind. Like you know, I don't do I. Do I really need to pull the trigger on the latest version of a handgun or a rifle or whatever that's been out for 20 years? Do I really need to go shoot the Winchester Model 70? You know, you know what I mean? Uh, the new 
hog hunter model or whatever. It's like, do I really need to go try that? You know, it's like I've shot how many model seventies over the years. It, it, it's not that much different, surely. Um, you know, so I, I focus more on, you know, another good one. It was the Walther PDP. Um, you know, it's essentially just a, a redesigned PPQ. And so, you know, it's like, you know, I have experienced that one, but when I did, it was like, eh, that was kind of a waste because it's really didn't a whole lot change except for the, maybe the way it looked. Are you talking the PPQ? Is that really, really squared one that's kind of sharp and little and squared? Like, because I remember that hurting when you when I shot it. Or my, no, is that P a different the, one? No, it's a different one. It's a different one. The PPQ is the um, a couple of years ago. You know, weird serrated auto. slide. Yeah, it's uh, got the slide serrations and it's kind of got an. You remember the one top. I'm talking about? It was a while back, and it was a it was either 380 or a really small nine, and it was really like it had a really squared off grip. And it looks kind of interesting. CC, but it's like a PPQ maybe? or QQQ. Anyway, so I'm sidetracking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. CCP. That's what that okay, was. But you're not talking about that one because I remember that everybody was no. like, "Oh yeah, I liked it." And I'm like, "Yeah, you're gritting your teeth because you hurt yourself shooting it." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, everything I don't try, but I try new things only because of uh, the Gun and Gear Review podcast. So sooner or later, if it's new, we're going to be discussing it. So, you know, I might as well put my hands on it and check it out. <clears throat> but, yeah, I know what you're saying, Clover. It's like, yeah, great. Uh, this manufacturer came out with a gun in a different color and gave it a different name. No, I'm not going to go over there because there's other things I can check out. And I also want to look at things that like uh, guns from Gerson and TSOS because they're catching on now, you know what I mean? Like more and more people, their quality level has gone up and more people are interested in asking questions about things like that. So yeah, I check those out when normally I wouldn't have, but yeah, not every gun, but I'm more selective now, I guess you'd say. Because you only have so much time. No, that's a great point. And that's part of the thing too, is like there's more choices, but because there's more choices, there's only so much time. So you definitely have to make decisions Otherwise, I mean, it's not possible to see them all. So it's not like we can see them all. We decide not to, but we literally have to make a decision on what we're going to look at, even if we attempted to see a lot of them. At any show I've been to, at least, I guess it wouldn't apply. I can think of a couple of the really big rental places in Phoenix. Actually, that'd be an interesting project to do. As I was just thinking, I don't. I, I was as I was saying, the big rental places in Phoenix. There's there's a bunch of them. There's Shooters World. And then Scottsdale's Gun Club come to mind as big ones, but there's more than that. If I put my mind to it, I could think of a couple more. But uh, big selections of rentals, maybe not everything in a store, but I mean a lot of stuff. And uh, unless you worked at a place like that where you'd have the opportunity to shoot everything, or not even the opportunity, but eventually you would because a gunsmithing or somebody rents something and, it, you know, whatever, you end up shooting everything just because you're there and there's a lot of stuff that has to be shot kind of thing. Uh, aside from that kind of gig, would it, let's say, let me put it this way then, to, since you guys answered that one, um, things are different and you're, you know, win a million bucks, something happens, NFA goes away, you know, something happens and our lives change and we got more time. Do would you pursue if the cost and time weren't an issue? Would you pursue trying to pull triggers on every gun, or is that something that doesn't interest you so much? 
it's let's say they could all be brought to you. Like you had some sort of a system where you had interns and they facilitated it whenever you felt like you'd go out to your backdoor range and pull triggers and then people <laughs> would ask you about it. Oh yeah, definitely. Still interesting. Um, I do it kind of virtually putting things together because I yesterday was just thinking about something that I would like to have with the diversity shoot is maybe nine millimeter 1911. So I started looking through nine millimeter 1911s, regardless of the cost, how much would it be? And just comparing all of them online. So everything from the Gersant to the TSOS, I think they make one all the way up to Nighthawk custom and higher end guns. And I was like, what would it be like to have a single stack nine? And I'd love to make a video comparing them all, you know, if I had the time and the money, why not? It just seems like something fun to do. Clover. So I just got back. Want to step away from? Oh, I was I asking if, if if something happened, you won the lottery, or things changed, or something, and then you could have interns and endless supply of all the new guns. Would that be something you'd pursue, pulling triggers on every new gun? Wow. Um. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Given the resources, sure. Why not? Well, okay, that's a good question, and that's that's I guess why I asked because I figure a lot of people would say that, but I think I don't know if I'd be all that interested. I think at some point I would lose interest because in I'm just not enough of a gunsmith or whatever. I, I as much as it's neat to to experience the new as it's happening, to me it's overwhelming, and I guess I must have some urge to collect. And for me, it's like you can't collect like a fire hose, but you can go back and look at what got wet. Does that make sense? So you can go back and see history because there's only so much of it. So I, I think I'd much rather have a, a different question where if I had like access to a museum and I could go, I wouldn't even care about fiddling or shooting them, but if I could fiddle with some of the old guns, I think I'd rather go in that direction. But um, I don't know. I just figured since we were talking about that Stoger, which y'all kind of had different ideas on that we'd kind of take it in that direction for a bit. So thanks everybody for being uh for allowing us to go off on a tangent there. Let's go back to the questions, unless I'm cutting anybody off, of course, feel free to jump in with your point, but what are the different shot sizes, shot sizes used for? Tony's driving, I don't know if you, there is a side chat, Tony, so I don't know if you're paying attention to that. So, so what are the different shot sizes for? What are they for? So, so for those that they don't know, the when you're looking at the number, you know, it says, you know, shot number, whatever. When you buy a box of shotgun shells, the number, the, the higher the number, the smaller the pellet or the BB or the whatever, right? The shot is inside of there. Um, so a, a few different things. I mean, it, why are they they're different sizes? That's how I'm getting that, that question. So you got to think about something here we got to think about especially from a standpoint of hunting right um you know you can you can throw a rock at a rabbit but odds are you're going to throw that rock enough hard enough is that rock uh heavy enough or whatever uh to to kill the rabbit right to take the rabbit out um so you've got you've got a certain amount of energy that's required to 
obviously be able to, to take that, that bird, that game animal, whatever it might be, right? So um, when you're talking about energy, um, energy involves two things primarily, which is velocity, how fast something is moving, and mass, how, you know, how heavy it is, basically, right? Um, so as you get, if, you, if your shotgun shell is shooting those pellets at the same speed, right? Um, you've got the bigger pellets are going to deliver more energy, okay? Um, so something like a larger bird, let's say you're shooting a, let's say you're hunting a dove, right? Um, you know, sixes, seven halves, you know, plenty, I think, uh, most of the time for dove. Um, and that's what typically you'll shoot seven and a half and eights is what you typically are going to just plink around, shoot sporting clays with. Um, but if you get up to a bigger bird, you get up into duck and you get up into geese, right? Uh, you know, six would probably be minimum. And then you, you know, maybe even move down to fives or fours or something like that. Right. Um, now there's a trade-off, right? Cause as you go higher or go lower in the number and that pellet gets larger, Obviously, there's less room in that shotgun shell for those pellets. So you've got less pellet. So you've got less of an area, less of a spread. So you're going to have to be a little more precise, a little better shot. You know, those those sorts of things, right? So we're, there is that trade-off. Um, I will say this. Once you get uh, above about a number nine shot, um, and it's because they're so lightweight, and this is really weird. Uh, it's, it's something that I've researched and was looking into when i got um i got some shot shell capsules where you can make like varmint shot snake shot rat shot right you can load your own uh and i bought some number 12 shot for a shotgun yeah i bought number 12 shot for a shot for shotgun shells basically no i'm sorry i mean you're talking about the cartridge things you're talking about or for a pistol or they're for a shotgun shell they're for a handgun they're for shot shells for a for a handgun yeah okay now i got uh, you so instead right. of a projectile gotcha right instead of a projectile it's this capsule that you pour shot into right and so um obviously it being in a handgun cartridge it's a it's a smaller it holds less than a shotgun shell right so it's like okay um and with number 12s um there is very little if any ricochet is what's interesting with number 12s and i'm i'm thinking that's because of the lack of energy um you know you got way smaller shot and then you've also got way less velocity because it's you know being fired from a handgun uh but yeah i mean you can shoot those almost point blank on a on a piece of plywood or something and you certainly wouldn't want to do that with a with a, even a, a sporting clay load or something you know what i mean um because it's going to come back on you. It's going to bounce. It's not going to hurt you, but it's going to, it's going to like somebody threw a handful of gravel at you, come back on you. Uh, but what's weird is those number 12s didn't. I mean, they just kind of hit the flywood and bail. It's really interesting. So, um, yeah, it's for why are there different types of shot? I guess was the question, right? So back to the uh, original answer is, it, you know, for the purpose at hand, depends on what you're trying to do. Bigger game is going to require bigger shot you want to throw anything at that tony no that's pretty much it and also now now 
because of uh, environmental protection laws, there's different materials also that we're dealing with. <clears throat> Correct. And for the same reason, um, mainly because the politicians got involved and they lied about stuff, but that that's another story for another day. But, yep, they change the materials based on lies, but there's well, a reason for it. Yeah, that's super interesting. I'm glad you brought that up. So I was just going to add that uh, what Clover was saying, it's actually sort of like a mechanical filter or like a mechanical uh, volume knob. So you've got a shotgun shell and you can adjust how much powder's in there. But if you want the stuff to leave the barrel, like you got to put a certain amount of powder in there, right? If you want it to come out the barrel with enough force to knock over a rabbit or you know, knock a bird out of the air or not even kill a, a deer or something, you know, you've got to get it coming out with enough force. But the thing is, it's coming out with force, period. But like Clover's saying, let's say you're shooting a little bird. You don't want to just annihilate the little bird. So how do you mechanically take your your variable that's less of a variable, it's more of a constant, your, your you know, the, volume, the speed or whatever you want to say, the energy that makes that thing leave the shotgun barrel? that's kind of a consistent, like it's, 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 it's a constant, I should say. It's not like, I mean, you can vary it a little bit, but it's gotta be some amount in order for it to be effective. So now you're, what you're throwing out there becomes your variable, right? And, and that's like a mechanical volume knob. If you want as much of the power to come out, you're going to make one big slug. Every, every ounce of that chemical energy that's happening in the barrel to make that projectile leave is sticking with the one projectile. As soon as you start to chop the projectile up, you're losing you're losing force all over the place, right? You're losing energy. And I was just going to add that level to it. So one of the reasons you get different size, and Clover kind of said it exactly, like when you take something that's almost pepper and you try to throw it at a wall, imagine taking a, a bunch of sand and throwing it at the wall. You're not going to get too much of that sand bounce back and hit you in the eye. Now, if you took a bunch of pebbles that were, you know, size of about 10 grains of sand and threw that at the wall as hard as you could, some of that's going to bounce back and hit you. Right. And at some point you're going to take a rock and wing it at the wall and it is going to bounce off that wall and hit you so hard. You're going to go, why did I wing this rock at the wall really hard? Like it would be dumb. So it's a mechanical volume switch. And then to what Tony said there, that's super important because we talk about stuff like, oh yeah, blah, 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 facts and figures. That's all fake. All this happens in a real world. We're not talking about theoretical anything. So in a real world, lead, there's a great indication of that. Lead can be that small and still be effective for all the stuff we just said there. So if you want to knock a little bird out of the sky and still be able to eat it, boom, right there. And then worst case scenario is you're eating the bird and there's an extra pellet or two and you spit it out and it gets put into the next time you shoot a bird. It's called recycling, right? You might have had lead in your mouth for a minute, but whatever. Now you try to do that with steel. You're not getting that small. Steel is not as dense as lead. It's called science. So you can't take a tiny piece of shaving of metal. There's a reason we don't have metal shaving shotgun shells because that didn't do, wouldn't do anything. You can't. There's not enough mass in those metal shavings to project them. You can smush them together and it's called MIM, right? But you can't just take metal shavings. So steel shot can only get so small and be useful. And that means you cannot get effective use of the smaller shots that you can get out of lead. So Tony's point there, I think brings what Clover was talking about there just home. So I think it was a cool question. 
we got a real question, so I'm going to jump to the real question if you guys are okay. Thanks to Mark for the super chat. Much appreciated. If I ever see Tony or Clover again, or the next time I see Tony and Clover again, I'll buy him something that costs $7, $7.21 maybe, something like that, so that we uh, equally divide that 20 bucks up. Uh, we got a real question, though, so everybody's okay. Let's jump into the real question or the live question. Um, Wildcat is saying, I've just been arguing on another channel about how 18 year to 21 year olds can legally buy a handgun, but just not from an FFL, a private sale. There was more to that. I'm not sure. I'm going to see if there's any more to that. Yeah, she's in Texas. In so. Texas. Have I just three answered young it. Adults I didn't know we were going to cover it. Oh, of course we are. So what did you put out here? Yeah, I mean, technically that is, it is correct. 18 to 20, I mean, uh, can buy from another Texas resident in a private sale. Um, you know, 18 plus can own a handgun, right? It's just that you can't buy it from an FFL. Um, but here is, and also you've got some issues if that 18 to 20 year old was to take that handgun over into another state, right? So we're talking strictly within Texas, between Texas people, all Texas stuff here. Um, because things get bit murky outside of that. Uh, the last part, and this is just from running buy-sell trade groups for many, many years and, and working with gun shops and everything else, um, you know, really big in gun shows in the buy-sell trade market here in Texas is good luck finding somebody that will typically sell in a private sale a handgun to somebody 18 to 20. Um, and the reason for that, quite simply, is liability. Um, because... You know, while it is legal, um, if you was to sell to that age bracket and they do go off and do something uberly stupid, um, that just strengthens a civil case against you. There really wouldn't be a uh, a criminal case, but it would be it would be a tough thing when they brought up federal statutes and, you know, the whole got to be 21 federally and blah, 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 blah. And that could really, really hurt you in the civil case. You know, throw anything on there, Tony? No, no. He pretty much has what I was thinking. Um, I, I think it's totally unfair and ridiculous, uh, especially as a guy who was in the military between 18 and 21. Um, but yeah. <laughs> So I'll throw some stuff in there. So there's a couple of things that Clover was, you know, working within the boundaries of. And that the first one is the FFLs that started in 1938. After the 1934 uh, NFA, uh, they weren't satisfied. So after requiring registration and attacks on certain guns, guns that are short, guns that are scary looking, guns that could shoot too many rounds fast. They, and guns that were quiet. They required a uh, tax, an unreasonable tax and registration on the gun, not the person, but they still wanted gun control. So in 1938, they created the FFA, the Federal Firearms something else, add something, I forget off the top of my head, but that's what created the FFLs, the Federal Firearms Licensee. I don't know when the Interstate Commerce Act happened, but somewhere in the Interstate Commerce Act came through and they said, oh, well, since we're the federal government and because of the way that everyone's interpreting the Interstate Commerce Act, the government, the federal government has their fingers in anything that happens across state lines. So everything Clover was talking about across state lines comes from the fact that gun shops 
have since 1938 have been required to be an, a, a licensed dealer. And then whenever, I, forget, I don't know the year, but whenever the Interstate Commerce Act kicked in, they then were the only option for if you want to buy a firearm from across state lines. So when Clover's talking about that in inside of Texas part, that's because we have to buy from an FFL as of 1938 if we're going to, well, we don't have to buy from an FFL. FFLs have rules since 1938. And one of those rules is, uh, you know, follow these procedures and stuff. Then they created the Interstate Commerce Act and said, now we've decided that individuals can't purchase from each other across state lines because somehow that's going to mess with federal trade. So because we're the federal government and we've decided and no one has challenged us on we're, we're going to take the authority to regulate anything that happens between two states. So firearms are a thing. You have two states. If you want to move from one state to another, we've got these handy FFLs. Why don't you have to take it to an FFL? And if you want to take it from this state to that state, FFLs to do the job, you can watch and pay for that and wait for them to get the authorizations or whatever they, we might stipulate later. They haven't done that, but you know they've created this FFL in 38. They added the stipulation of the interstate commerce. That created the situation that becomes confusing because as individuals, we can purchase from each other, period. In the Interstate Commerce Act, let me come up with the year of that because I it's bugging me they don't know the year but whatever year that was they the federal government said you can buy things from each other but not from across state lines anymore so individuals you know people who can buy guns if you want if you want to buy that gun from somebody across state lines it has to go through an ffl i believe somewhere in there there was a fight and they said okay just handguns so now you can buy a long gun for the most part wherever you're at but if you want to buy a handgun it's got to go through this ffl thing now for the most part, that's just a complicated thing. It's sort of like saying, oh, you want to rent a car? Then you got to rent it from a dealer. Well, what's a dealer? Oh, dealers sell cars. Is that the way you can buy a car? No, you can buy a car from anybody. Dealers are just one option. But if you want to rent a car, you got to get it through a dealer because of some law. So that's really what we're talking about here. There was gun shops. Gun shops became regulated for some reason. Interstate commerce comes along and then they get them. They, like now you're super regulated. And then they also said within our state commerce, and we put up walls that individuals can't purchase from each other, so FFLs are important. Now, because they don't want to actually educate, they just want to have emotional knee-jerk reactions to stuff, they, they don't educate, they don't uh, get into the nuance of any of this, they just start to work these angles that they, you know, these situations that they've created, they start to work these things. So when they talk about the 18 to 21 year old, that's an individual who has, you know, the rights that the Second Amendment secures for them that says the government can't infringe on your right to purchase a firearm. For some reason, we decided 18 is the year that people can purchase things on their own. Up until 18, you can own whatever you want. You just have to have given it by your parents. And there might be laws some places that say under 18 here's what you can do. Like, here's where you can carry and here's where you can't. There's very few states that say that, though. Most states just say that as long as you're with your parents, who cares? Um, once you get to be 18, whatever laws said, you know, juvenile stuff doesn't apply anymore. You're now an emancipated or whatever it's called. Go do your thing. You're an adult now, maybe. But if you want to buy a handgun from your friend, go for it. If you want to buy a handgun from your grandpa or something, that's what they're for, right? But if you want to buy a handgun from an FFL, there's this set of laws and issues and requirements that the FFLs have. And, well, forever they've said 18 to 21 can buy a rifle or handgun. That's never been an issue. 
then whatever year it was in 1968, I guess they said, nah, from now on, 18 to 21 can't buy a pistol and that'll solve crimes. And then crimes were, oh really, crimes weren't solved. So now in 2021, they've decided, you know what'll solve crimes? Making it so that 18 to 21s, those mushy brain motherfuckers, let's make it so that they can't own rifles. That'll make the world safer. Let's, you know, marginalize them, persecute them for wanting to own property and judge them all on the actions of the individuals who might or may not be stable. So uh, that's where we're dealing. The interstate commerce infringes on us being able to purchase from each other across state lines and requires us to go to an FFL. The FFL's hands are tied and says you can only sell to who we say you can. And at the moment, 18 can buy rifles, but pretty soon, or wait, has that already taken effect? It, it, it has not taken effect, I think. Or wait, I'm getting them confused now. It's the pistol brace one that I'm thinking doesn't take effect till April. Did that already happen? This new stupid one took effect and 18-year-olds can't buy rifles anymore? From NFFL? I thought it was that they had to go through some kind of weird expanded background check. I didn't know it. Oh, that's what it is. So they're really being yeah. heinous to them as though somehow being mean to all 18-year-olds, you know, isn't just... What's that called now? Everybody likes to say grooming everybody for the idea that the state knows best. And what we really want is a state that knows the status of everyone's mental condition. And then it'll authorize gun ownership or not. But as long as the state knows everybody's mental condition, we're good to go. That's basically what we're aiming towards. <clears throat> well, they also get to dictate what's mentally unstable. And it's anyone that disagrees with the state. Um, and another reason they get to attack the 18 to 21 year olds is, well, as a group, they vote very little. Um, you notice oh. that, so they don't have to worry about it. No one's trying to captivate the 18 to 21 year old vote because it's almost useless. Uh, they're not going to do it. They're paying attention to way too many other things. I know I was. I don't know about you guys. I mean, I still voted. In the national elections, but then during that time, again, I was in the military, so I was filling out absentee ballots that didn't get counted anyway. So, yeah, they can easily attack 18 to 21-year-olds because they don't have to worry about it. I don't know if I just was long-winded there or not, but I was trying to um, give some of the details on why it specifically 18 to 21s can't buy from an FFL. It just goes back to kind of a double punch, kind of they set themselves up and then tightened the noose uh and then now they're changing it from handguns to all guns but we like clover mentioned we still have anybody can still buy from somebody else now clover's experiences are different than mine i live with different people in a different communities right now. i live in arizona it's different in texas from what i understand it's a lot of private land you don't have a lot of texas owned state land or national state and uh, nationally owned land that you can just go be recreational on so it's a little bit different gun environment i think out here there's a lot more of being individual buy your stuff and then just go out and enjoy it in the desert where i think there's more tradition and more like stuff happening there and maybe i don't know just a different culture that may that's what i'm looking for because out here, I mean, I purchased my first handguns when I was 18 from individuals because you couldn't buy them at gun shops. But that was the way it was done back then. There was no concern. I mean, I guess there was concern if, like, a kid came up. What would kids have been like back in the day? It was before grunge even, I think. So what would you come up looking like a biker or something? 
most skinheads were a thing. Like maybe if you came up looking like the most extreme punk or something, I'm sure somebody would have been like, eh, maybe not. But I don't think there was the, we didn't have the internet. People weren't overly concerned about stuff. Like, oh, an 18 year old wants to buy my guns. Great. Cause nobody else is going to want to buy them. You know, I bought garbage guns. I was an 18 year old, but uh, you know, I bought what I could afford. You know what I'm saying? It, it Maybe if an 18-year-old came up and said, hey, let me buy 14 Glocks, you know, that might raise an eyebrow. But when a 14-year-old's coming up and buying a single-action 22, I don't think there's too much concern. But we're also talking about different eras, you know, potentially. Well, it, it, the same holds true. Like, let's not, let's not get into it being an age thing. But, uh, and that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that people are hesitant people can be hesitant to sell to somebody 18 to 20 simply on a personal thing simply because simply because of age right the word is simply because of age because you know we've all met somebody that you know for whatever reason you know is wanted to buy this or wanted to buy that and it whatever reason at some point it didn't feel comfortable or didn't feel right um all i'm saying is the age thing can play into that right it can be you know if you we're meeting up and like you know that it's a 19 year old but then you know it's like ah, this 19 year old doesn't seem to be responsible doesn't you know what i mean um you know yeah you have a you have a, a right to keep and bear arms but you know i'm not forced to sell you my private property at the, on the right. same line right? No obligation right yeah yeah so and you know, because I'm not forced to do it, that means that, you know, I assume some liability again, civilly. Oh yeah. And that's some, and it also, everybody's got different awareness on that. Some people could care less and some people are like, bring it. Like once I sell something, it ain't nothing to do with me, you know, like unless right. this guy's telling me like I'm right. buying this to rob a bank, then that's his, that's right. on this other person. And like yeah. I said, I think it's just different because I've bought, I don't know. And I think maybe that's different too. You know, if we actually, that'd be an interesting question. If you guys are interested or comfortable saying it of all the guns you've bought, you don't have to say how many guns, but I'm guessing we own more guns than a lot of people just because we're old and we buy cheap guns. It's not like we're super rich and we're fancy or nothing, but you know, we've bought a lot of guns. I don't even know if I can answer this, but have you bought more guns from shops or from people or what would be the ratio? Can you come up with that? Not, you know, you don't have to say how many, but like, you know, what would be the ratio? 60, 40, 50, 50? Probably six. I'm going to say probably 60 from people, 40 from shops. That's just so I was going to probably say money. 60, 40 shops it, it, and people because I go to a lot of gun shows and stuff and I'll buy from a shop because it's, you know. It tilts. Mine tilts more towards an individual probably. Not by much. Yeah, but as I say that, I'm thinking there's all kinds of times where I've made individual. The internet definitely lets you help like arrange stuff you see somebody who's got the similar collection hey what do you got and then you meet up and you start trading what about tony uh <clears throat> mostly from shops mostly from shops uh, mainly because it's now illegal in new jersey to do the to do private sales that that's been going on for i think a year now but prior to that it was still the same i got mostly from shops but I have a lot of individual sales too. So there you go. That's interesting. I never even see. I sit around here just, you know, living the life of not having infringements like that. I understand that they exist, but I don't live with them. So it doesn't come to my mind. Clover's got a totally different experience with stuff. 
And then obviously Tony brings us back to reality with the uh, not everybody can even answer that question anymore. Um, yeah, that's interesting. And that's one of those things that, um, and it's easy to rage or whatever, but that's the frustrating part because there's a, there's the unintended, there's a better word than unintended consequences. And uh, that's the part where they're the, you know, that they're, they don't even bring up and we've done a poor job of enlightening people too or illuminating right. because that's how we win is when they figure out that like, Hey, you're causing them way more harm than any amount of potential good. I'm sorry. I also just got done listening to, I was telling Clover, like whatever the last, testimonial for the house yelling about the new assault weapons ban i was just editing 12 hours of that so i must have watched i've scrubbed through it like 30 times listening to all their different back and forths so i've got a much better understanding of their positions on it and how they're um pleading to their audiences and stuff and there's definitely no interest in education and they're doing their best to dumb everything down and make everything you know binary anyway, very much so they do that intentionally uh, because they want people they know people will only listen to sound bites. No one's very few people investigate further unless it affects them. Yeah, unless the sound bite is super intriguing, right? Like, hey, here's a little nibble, but do you want to go take a bite? You know, we don't got that on our side yet, but we will. There's some those last three videos from the DC project, I think, are a great example of uh, people on our side getting that savory like taste out there sample out there and then people start to dig in and they see all the different you know they see the buffet that they've got to choose from um i think we're we're in the position to accomplish it we just haven't had a lot of practice is all so wildcat i don't know if we rambled off in too many directions or if we just said things that uh we ended up addressing those points or not but um I think intentionally, just like what we kind of ended on here, this is something that they, I don't believe that they're so smart or powerful that they engineered it to be here, but they just kept throwing junk into the works and kept adding burden and infringements till it became a complicated, clunky thing that many of us uh, are used to the terrain. So we just navigate it, even though it's weird and it makes no sense. And a lot of the things are just bureaucratic annoyance we over we overlook it and just plow through because we're just so whatever we're so numb to it and uh and because of that i don't think we actually it seems to me like we don't get a good description of the situation because we've all got so much trauma and issues that we uh we bring up when we're trying to answer questions about it so let me know <laughs> if we missed anything there and that's the nice part about live is we can extrapolate or shut you know simplify or do whatever we need to do Mark sent me 20 bucks. Like I said, I appreciate that. It does go into the till. And something I've been doing on Fridays now is saying thanks to the people at Super Chat. This will be our um, fifth Super Chat this month. So thank you for that. And actually, Mark is three of those six Super Chats. He almost won last night. But every Friday, we're going to do a drawing for everybody that Super Chatted in the month. So every time you Super Chat, you're in the drawing for all four weeks. Unless you Super Chat at the end of the month, and you're in it for one. But uh, thank you for the uh, couple of bucks, that, the 20 bucks, it's not a couple of bucks. Thank you for the money. It's going to go into the YouTube channel. Um, and whenever the YouTube payout happens, you know, it's another 20 bucks on the pile. And that'll pay a bill. Thank you for that. 
uh clover tack was saying same usually what was that four to six what am i missing oh you guys are talking what number size shot I don't no oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah you're talking about what for duck or whatever yeah. And that's where, again, you start to get into, well, I want to shoot this size because, one, I want my energy to still be out there at the distance I anticipate this flying duck to be. And then somebody else will say, yeah, but I don't want to eat lead bits. So I'd rather shoot it with this at that so that I got fewer bits and I still have it. You know what I mean? So it's, there's so many different things. Some or people have, are looking for this or looking for totally different. Or I have different chokes or I have a longer barrel or I, you know, the distance I'm trying to shoot it is not as far or it's, you know, it's the same way there's different weight with single projectile firearms. It's, it's, there's no different or different types of projectiles. No difference. Snaggy says, I think it's good not to use lead over water. Don't things eat pebbles and they could get lead poisoning? Interested in what lies Tony's talking about? Actually, I think no. you're talking about the condor or something. <laughs> Yeah, the condor. The whole condor thing is where that lead in the uh, animals and poison and wildlife came from. And it ended up being a lie uh, told. It was all politics. And uh, they outlawed uh, lead ammo because of, in hunting, because of the lies of the condor thing. And they finally came out and told the truth, but right after they passed the bill. Uh, I'm talking about the study came out, the 20, 30 year study in California about how lead ammunition affects um, the condors because of wounding or birds eating by condors that were killed by hunters. Oh, yeah, they had to do uh, like a two, three decade study. Uh, the head of the Environmental Protection Agency or whatever for California testified that it was true. They passed the law and then the study got published. I'm thinking a week later that said it was all lies. So the head of the EPA of California knew it was a lie. He'd already seen the results of the study, but he testified just to get the bill passed. And then it comes out, it had no effect. So there, you know, go ahead. I was just to say, you know, lead, lead can be problematic, right? Yes. I mean, I, I, nobody's going to dispute that. But of the, the interesting thing is where does the lead come from? the earth so it's like it's it's already it was already there it's like it's, yeah, yeah it's <laughs> it was it was, it was another one of, it's another yeah. one of those things that the government has pushed out for decades you've seen it in movies you read it in books they've kept it as a trope of lead poisoning yeah. so obviously it poisons game too and you shouldn't use it well no it's not how it works not how it works at all, and we've been lied to. <clears throat> and this is just another front to the attack on the Second Amendment firearms and firearms owners. But to explain all that, you have to go against something that every quote unquote everyone knows, but it's not. You you've been bullcrap for thirty years. Well, well and study to prove it. I understand what you're talking about, but let me add to so I can. So the frustration is that. There's this concept of people want to do good, and then there's the concept of bureaucracy. I think that's the two things here. So you're, I'm not going to dispute what you said about the study and all that, because that's one of the, I was going to say, that's one of the frustrations of bureaucracy is that sometimes it's necessary. Well, it's almost always necessary for accomplishing liberty, which is people being free around each other, in my opinion. Like, that's my definition. So, you know, the bureaucracy and the government can accomplish that. 
instead of having a, an efficient fascist bureaucracy that one person decides what's going to happen and everybody agrees and then that happens, which would be pretty much bad, I think, for most people, except for that one guy. Um, except for that kind, you know, the, all the dem Democratic and the representative and the all our versions of it, you know, have some kind of stalemates and have some kind of frustrations where nobody wins, but also nobody loses, hopefully, right? Loses, you know, liberties and stuff. But in the process, there's always going to be issues. So that's all I'm getting at is that there's there, there was issues in California where there was concern. We've got technology and being able to monitor critters. So as soon as somebody can monitor a critter, they go, how can I apply this? Oh, I can apply this by testing things over the long term. And then we'll know if there's, let's say, lead in the blood, right? And then maybe we can determine from where the lead came into the blood at what time and at what seasons or something. Maybe with this new technology or this new monitoring, you know, we can we can figure out some some solution to something. And I think that's I don't want to get to where we get uh, anti each other because there's things happening over time, because I think everybody wants birds to exist and everybody wants to be able to hunt. Right. But. It's not as simple as like birds are eating the pellets. The pellets accumulate in the water. The lead, which is a heavy thing, accumulates in the livers. So let's say a little tiny snail or something eats the lead in the water, and then the bug eats the snail, and the bird eats the bird, and now the livers that keep getting eaten accumulate in the predator. The predator does nothing but eat other things' livers. So all the mercury in an area, all the lead in an area gets accumulated in the livers. And then this thing eats all the livers and then eats all the things that are eating all the things livers. And that's how you get predators being an indicator for things. That's it's just sad. a little bit of science. But like I say, they're developing that through the 70s and 80s. And now they're getting to where they can learn from the mistakes and everything. But then you get bureaucrats and others who are going to use these as weapons they're going to say ah and they're going to either obscure it or take whatever angle they want from it or just plain lie about it and then attack people with that and that's what happened is we had people with good intentions attempting to learn something and then oh it must be the well guess what maybe it's lead weights you dumbasses maybe it's all the you know i was in doing acid rain studies in places that took us we had to walk 40 miles into wilderness where you couldn't bring a chainsaw you couldn't bring a power tool. You couldn't drive a vehicle. We had to walk 40 miles up into there. These people from that I was working with would go out in the middle of the lake and dive down or sink these little glass bottles down to the bottom of a lake in the top of Wyoming. So glacier lakes in Wyoming, super polluted from Salt Lake City, right? So yeah, you could say hunters all you want, but if you're going to have rain that comes down and pollutes the next state over, there's a lot of issues going on. And it takes a lot of people walking for 40 miles and pulling out water samples. And guess what? If we walked back down the hill and dropped all those water samples, who's paying to send people back up to do all that? Because I was there for free. I was volunteering for the, for the time, but everybody else was getting paid to do that survey. So that's the other thing is like, oh, we figured out a new way to test lead or something. Oh, I want the contract to do that. So you have bureaucracy and you've got politicians that are like, I want to stay in business. So I'm going to say that we got this new technology and we got this new stuff. Plus, I can weaponize it against gun owners. Sign yep. me up. So that's where we all have to be at least a little bit aware. And that's where hunters, hopefully Clover can jump in from the FUD side. The hunters did all this. And that's why it's so discouraged when people throw hunters under the buses as FUDs. 
because the, back in the day when they were first learning all this environmental stuff, you think environmental shit is new? That happened in the 60s and 70s when the communists first came over and started indoctrinating the students. It was the first thing they went after because they could see it as a way to re remove natural resource uh, production from the United States. So they got hippies out there to start going nuts. And you think they weren't going against gunners? That's what we're talking about. The lead is from that, right? And back in the day, there weren't copper shrouded stuff, right? There was all just a bunch of lead slugs. So uh, hunters defended their play opportunity, their right to hunt. They had to uh, fight for and actually purchase their lands in many places. They had to infiltrate the bureaucracy of the government to defend their public lands in places. So in other words, hunters had to become politicians in order to do this. And then once they did, they accomplished things that they didn't know if they were going to be able to accomplish it. They sat back and went like this. The NRA got taken over by what's his face and started to do what it's going to, you know, been doing for the last 30 years. Hunters sat back and went, we saved public lands. Now our children can hunt. And our children went, you know, I like a hot dog better, so I'm not going to care about that so much. So what is this all about? Let's say, let's stop hunting again. So now they're having to, you know, we're seeing some of this stuff come around again because they figure everyone's forgotten about the things of the past. So I don't know. I'm bringing this all around to all kinds of places, but this but, is an interesting. But one of the things about what you said is true. It was a hypothesis about lead poison due to hunting and sports hunting and sports fish, whatever. But they pushed to this fact and then they did the study. Right. Well, exactly. again, that hypothesis became what everyone knows. No, the study just got done in the last five years and it came up. Oh, that hypothesis was incorrect. But it's been politicized now. So, of course, how am I going to say, yeah, that 30 years of stuff you heard? Yeah, it was really wrong. That 30 years of stuff you saw on your TV and your movies and all the environmental bad guys, that was, that was wrong. About lead and hunting ammo causing the death of the condors. No. Not true. We have a lot more problems and nothing happened as a singular you know what I mean? There was a whole lot of pollution going on and living in Jersey, living in a place where other states dump paid people to dump toxic waste. Don't worry about lead in your ammo, baby. We got a whole lot more problems here. We have cancer clusters in Jersey. No, and it yeah. has nothing to do with lead ammo. Exactly. In the state where they tested all of the propulsion engines and all the failed propulsion engines, if what we got is the one that worked, how many ones that didn't work polluted, right? Or did whatever, yeah. spewed or exploded. So in the state and the regions where they developed aviation and, and aerotech, whatever that's called, uh, they're gonna suggest that hunters are the single source. Like you say, that's, we gotta be vigilant and aware, but um, this is a big challenge. Like they say, liberty requires eternal vigilance. Um, we're all over the place on this one. Clover, you want to throw anything to wrap it up and get us into the next question here? Um, oh, we're a little bit over already. So I guess it didn't happen at all. We're going to shoot for 90 minutes, I guess. We're trying. Keep going. Let's go. All right. So we went to the side chat to attempt to answer Wildcat's question about having three kids, three boys in Texas and being interested in purchasing an firearm between the ages of 18 and 21 and uh clover answered it i extrapolated on it and then we went off into lead and stuff so i don't know if uh, we answered that one good like say feel free to give us some rein us in and uh clarify if you'd like 
I'm just going to go through instead of the ones over in the database. I'm just going to look at the stuff that's coming in. Bicep is saying I shot a military M15 shot shell replicas in. Wait, I shot military M15 shot shell replicas in my 1911. They load into the mag and run semi-auto. So you're talking a shot shell 45 ACP, I guess. Yeah, that's correct. Oh, I guess what he's talking about is the um, the boxes of 45 ACP ammo that were issued, I think, in World War One, came with like if there was. 20 rounds in the box it would have been like two of the rounds were shot shells have you ever seen those and i forget what it was i think it was for the pacific yeah. and if they needed them as survival or something right if they needed to kill rats or something they just gave them these shot shells and i don't know what really happened to them it would be neat to talk to somebody who's a veteran from that era and say like what'd you guys do with all these shot shells because <laughs> i can't imagine i imagine they would have piled up have you ever heard any stories about that stuff tony no, nah, actually, I don't recall any. Yeah, but but if they were like anything like us, either it went away into a warehouse that nobody knew about, or people did really dumb things with them. That's all. So that's what I'm assuming is that since I never heard of them, I'm guessing it was like, oh yeah, that's what we played games with or something, or like you know we shoot coconuts with them or something because yeah. I never heard of anything about them. But everybody I know, actually, I shouldn't say that. I, I was going to say people I knew went to Europe, but the people I knew, now that I'm saying about it, everybody I knew went to the Pacific. I knew I knew of people in my family that went Europe, but everybody I actually know was in the Pacific. Thing is, I had to think about it because this is my grandparents' generation and their brothers and sisters. They never talked about World War II, ever. Like, after I was in the military and could ask them a specific question, they would answer the question. You know what I mean? But they never brought nothing up whole different generation about i don't know experience and i don't know what their deal is trying to keep it from everybody else i guess so that you don't have to experience it or think about it i don't know what they're doing I, I i think it was that i think it was a lot and society was set up different and you had no one to go to if something you said or did triggered ptsd it was something you just need to get over and maybe i don't know i think it's a combination of a lot of things because yeah, millions like of Americans went in. So long. You're going to have to swallow it so long. You're just never going to ever be able to deal with it, right? Yeah. I mean, you're just going to, uh, you know, uh, remove a scab that could be something bad. And also, who do you talk to if almost everyone was in the military, but very few were combat arms? No, that's, an awesome, that's a good question. And the thing is, because of that dynamic, let's say you were working shoveling coal in some boiler somewhere and that thing blew up and everybody you knew is gone and you're the only one left. How do you bring that up when other people had to deal with war crime, you know, story type of stuff? Yeah. You know what I mean? And, like you don't that's a whole other type of PTS that people don't even appreciate or focus on too often and that uh, you just gotta bite that and yeah, it's tough. Yeah, and being it was rough, man. That, that, okay. was a, that was a badass generation, man. Just shout out to all those guys who, <laughs> none of which are listening to this podcast, but we should give them respect. <laughs> <True>. <laughs> <laughs> we can still uh, give them the, uh, we're pouring out a little of our coffee this morning. To that yes, sir. Okay, so um, that was that one. With 1639 tyranny, all guns have to go. So that's the universal background stuff, check stuff. Uh, and I 
that's a universal background check is in my opinion one of the razor blade it's like that old-fashioned razor you know like that old-fashioned straight edge razor that the barber would have used you know mm -hmm. super sharp super violent it's like super violent when somebody knows how to use one i think of the universal background checks as one of those you can get cut by one of those and you got to go wait a minute i don't feel nothing but i feel the blood pouring out of somewhere like it's it's one of those kind of things people don't think of it right away but one of the most dangerous issues we have is universal background checks. So uh, universal background check, red flag laws, side to side to me because uh, they- Those are new, you, so they haven't been used as much, I guess. So yeah, they're- Yeah, they're but what I'm used. saying is they have confused people with the name and the overview when people break it down. And it's yes. like, no, that's not what it really means. And that's not what it really does. And that's not how it can be actually weaponized against people that have done nothing, but they want to take their guns from. Perfect. No, that's exactly what they've done. They figured out a way to just create a reality that plays off of everyone's like in, in a, unawareness. I'm just going to call it like, you know, just, indifference and unawareness of guns they're playing off of all of those like weird tropes and stuff that the me media has created and uh yeah and the sad part is most gun owners aren't aware of most laws i mean really they they don't know and, and these are the people i'm talking about yes if you never own a firearm don't intend to own a firearm or universal background checks and red flag laws may not even get picked up by you you know what i mean like they that's not something I care about if I don't own a firearm or don't intend to own a firearm, or as far as I know, no one in my circle own one, owns one. And but you think they're a vice, and you think they're like a, a dangerous thing that's only certain people should even be around anyway. Yeah. So now you got gun owners who own one or two. Um, that's the thing in the closet in case something goes bump in the night, they're going to pull out or it's something they inherited from someone or it was a phase they were going through and they purchased a 44 like you know the daddy daddy harry had or something from a movie but mm -hmm. they're not in that phase anymore so they don't pay attention to what's happening it seems like a good idea what's wrong with a red flag law if a guy's kind of crazy they should be able to call and take his guns away and then they have no one in their circle to go um yeah but if he's such a danger uh, they should take him away not his guns this is a gun grab and then you have to have that conversation same thing with universal background checks. It's like, it's not what they're doing, dude. You already have a background check. It's it's more games they're playing, and you have to explain it to the firearms owner who's not politically aware. And that's what a lot of us don't do and where we fall down a little, especially. And I won't even blame it on new gun owners because I've been in this long enough prior to 2020 to know, no, people who you consider veteran gun owners right now don't know either. Yeah, this is more like just a pitfall of the the scenario of the what in the environment. It's like as you're saying that I'm thinking like driving. You can be an expert driver, but you still got to pay attention when it's super snowy out and you don't got good visibility because you don't know what the other drivers are doing. That's a variable. You can be the best driver in the world, you don't get to control other people's ability to drive and you're on the road with them. Um Pancho posted, uh, you can join the military at 18 and you're issued a rifle, but you can't legally purchase one as a citizen. Just to think about it, to put it as a devil's advocate, just so that you understand the other side isn't crazy. 
but they, if you're thinking about this rationally from the other side, they're going to say someone who's joined the military has been vetted. They've had a background check and they've been trained. So that individual, even though they got that 18-year-old mushy brain, somehow the military magically either tightened up their brain, made it good, or picked the one 18-year-old out of the ones they had to choose from that doesn't have the mushy brain. They're, so they're, they're also, not irrational. They just have unrealistic expectations of what the systems in place can do and do. Go ahead. Also keep in mind that military, all of that's being used in a very controlled and specific way as well, much like your European countries, right? Where your guns stay at the hunting cabin, your guns stay at the at the gun range, right? Yeah. I well, know that. No. Especially the no. people that write these laws. They know that most of the military never touches a gun. Well, here's the thing about most of the military never touching a gun. Yes, I don't get my M16. But if I have a house off base and I'm married, because many of them are 18, 19, 20, 21, I can have my gun in my house that I personally own. Now, you go, well, what about my wife who's 18? And you've just deployed me for a year in another country. How does my wife protect the home and our, you know, one, two-year-old kid? Oh, she doesn't get a gun. But her man, who's 18, can be deployed on the other side of the world with one. It just doesn't make any sense. There's nothing taken into account right. that actually happens in the real world. Well, when you describe it like that way, you make it sound like the 18-year-old who's the enlisted one comes home mm -hmm. to the spouse who's 18. When mm -hmm. you're enlisted at 18, yeah, you, you leave your M16 or whatever at the fort. Like, yep. you, you can't go home and because you're a soldier, the laws don't apply to you. As soon as you take exactly. your uniform off and you walk home, you can't own a gun again. If you're in one of those states that you can't own a gun, so it's both you and your spouse are disarmed. So yep. when you're deployed, your spouse is alone with your children potentially, but definitely with your valuables in a place where everyone knows the spouses are deployed. But yeah, also, when you're at home, you, you're disarmed just like everybody else. They only deem you uh, in other words, when all these things are written, like for law enforcement and military, they don't mean mm -hmm. and when you go home. Police have the thing where they go home and they're still police. But military, you go home and you're just a regular person again. Unfortunately, oh, by the way, it's in a way that you don't have your rights back. You still can't sue the government because you're still a, you know, a property of the government when you go home. But the property of the government, which laws of your local laws apply to you. And that's just the way the government treats us as individuals in that situation. So I just want to make it clear. It's not like you're deemed better than everybody when you're in the military. Mm -hmm. You're only when you're on the job in uniform, you can take your uncle's gun and do as you're told. But then as soon as you go home for the night, now you're just a regular person again, except you don't have rights like everybody else. You're still property of the government, but you're property yep. of the government with right with the law that the laws apply to. So, yeah, that's what I'm just saying. Like, don't think that military people go home and have a big assortment of guns. <laughs> that only happens in states where that's okay. And that's most of the states. But in New Jersey, nobody goes home from their military in New Jersey and, and above the law. <clears throat> and you, you live in a crappy neighborhood because you're between E1, E3, E4, and have a high school diploma. So you're living in a not-so-good neighborhood, and you're leaving your wife in a not-so-good neighborhood outside of a military base. Which you again, must have known people, too, that were just like, you know, I'm looking for a job that's good and military is a good job and I can get a job at this post or base nearby. So they're just at home. They just go home at night. Like so some, whatever neighborhood they came from, they just go right back to it. Eventually. Some are, some aren't. I in mean, the guard, you're in still, the guard, and reserve in the guard 
yeah, guard's totally different, but I'm like, like, I mean, because I just moved off base, you know what I mean? I, I was in off base housing two weeks ago. And, uh, you know, people from Colorado, people from California, they're all over and you're just here with your spouse on a company tour. Oh, congratulations. You, you know, no one, you know, no one. And you're in a not so good neighborhood. Oh, yeah. You can't be armed because New Jersey said so. You're not old enough yet. I mean, I know you've come back off your second tour overseas, but you're not old enough to protect yourself at your home. And your wife definitely isn't. Let's try Ridiculous. to do a speed round. Zeus asked, how do I legally make a sawed-off shotgun? Try this <laughs> I like the way that's, uh, that question was asked. It was asked appropriately. So thank you, Zeus. Um, yeah, I mean, a sawed-off shotgun is just a thing. So, yeah, yeah. well said. Legally make a. Um, so I answered that out there in the chat. A short, simple, sweet, lightning round answer uh, is uh, – need to file a form one i would suggest e-filing because it's quicker uh at that point uh, when you submit that paperwork it's uh, 200 bucks for the tax stamp uh usually takes six to eight weeks for it to get back and you start sawing and make sure it's legal in your state well this is true too make sure you can own nfa items yes but that's going to be a part of the form one process right just like uh, people assume you can own a lot of different things. Can you file Jersey? a form? Can you file a form one or any any ATF paperwork like that? NFA paperwork, I mean, if I, you live in a state where it's not allowed. I truthfully don't even know, dude. I because I mean, they just told us pretty much you can't own this, this, and this. And I leave it alone because I, I have enough going on. I don't need to be on any more lists. Yeah, I don't know the answer to that either. I don't know if there's a, the caveat safety net thing where the ATF kicks it back or if they take your money and send you the paperwork and then you figure out after you went through all that, oh, crap, I can't have that this in this state. So, yeah, yeah double check all that for sure, Zeus. And let's see. For other questions that might have come in, everybody's talking about the shotgun stuff for a while. Love the boomstick. Um, Woods is saying all gun control is inherently racist and anti-poor. So you know, that's definitely something we can uh, wrap it up with, since we're not going to hit any of the other ones out of the database today. Um, I mean, we all know that part of it. We know, I think we're all aware of the recent efforts towards that. There's been some books and stuff that got the ball rolling. And we've talked about some of those before. And I guess what I was going to say is, so for today's topic, would, or I'm going to ask, do you think that it's having effect? And then, well, I guess let me put it that way. Are we having effect with the messages? How do we determine that maybe? Well, I, I, I've watched the anti-gun uh, forces start using gun control was racist when the Republicans were doing it because they didn't want blacks to be armed. That's why the Mulford Act was passed. And then they stopped right there. And very few of them have uh, the, are willing to continue with looking into it or continue uh, investigating to realize that when the Mulford Act was passed in California, making open carry illegal, because that's what we're talking about, uh, it was written by a Republican named Mulford, 
And it was passed, but very few, almost every Republican in the state voted against it, while every Democrat in the state voted for it. And no Democratic governor since has tried to get rid of it. So I'm like, so exactly when did it stop being racist? So when you know the history of gun control uh, and some of the things that they put out, you can go, this is built on a foundation of racism and elitism. Uh, it's not only blacks, it was Native Americans, it was Asians, it was also uh, Irish with the Sullivan Act in New York. And so, Mexicans when it was out west here. And then exactly. Uh, it's always America. been to control people they consider undesirable. And I think as firearms owners, not only if you want to be an activist and if you want to engage in this conversation, we need to educate ourselves other than just the bumper sticker logic so we can at least take the conversation to the next level and tell people where they can find the information. You don't have to be an expert at any of it, but when you can point out where you can find what we're, we're talking about to people that are willing to look, some aren't ever going to because they want their feelings to be facts and you can't mess with those people. They, they either have to wake up or you ignore them and keep it moving. I think it's super well said. And there's so many flavors and angles and approaches to every topic, but specifically the gun control is racist one. There's some stuff that's like, you know, t-shirt meme or whatever, you know, like get the message across. And then there's like the opposite, like the books, the complete actual books that are written about the topics from different angles. And, uh, and then everything in between the stuff that reviews the books and that kind of thing. So like you said, knowing that they exist, you don't have to be an expert on everything, but knowing, you know, being able to point somebody to something in the library that you know of, you don't have to have read the book. You don't have to have some opinion on the book, right? You just can be useful by letting people know, Oh, there's a book on this. Here it is. Yeah, definitely. I think that helps. And that, that look, all we want to do if your firearms owner that wants to be an advocate is, is help people understand your point of view. I can't make you change your mind. I can tell you what I think. I can tell you why I think, why I think, what I think. And I also can point you to resources that reinforce my thinking. I can't make you change your mind. You can look on your own and circumstances may make you change your mind. But it helps if we're educated. If we just don't run around screaming 1776, my cold dead hands, because you're going to miss a lot of people. And uh, now, because I work with a lot of females in the 2A advocacy, they also have their own perception of what it's like being a female and seen as the weaker sex, um, that they have to have the ability to defend themselves. And that's what the Second Amendment is for with them. And we have Carol Baum that was murdered here in New Jersey, waiting for permission from the state to purchase the firearm, not to carry, just to purchase. And the state has already was already 15 days behind their cutoff date of approving this lady who had no criminal record and was a business owner. She died at the hands of her ex-boyfriend, chasing her around her vehicle in front of a school uh, across the street from a school. She was stabbed to death. Nothing was done. They, I've, I've been there when they've testified using her name and the uh, legislators didn't care. So you have to talk about it and you have to make it personal. It can't be just, you know, my rights. You actually have to tell a story. And it's not about the legislators. It's about other gun owners. you got to wake them up. It's about people that have compassion. They're in the middle. 
you got to make them aware of what's at risk, those unintended consequences uh, that we were talking about earlier of stupid things like universal background checks and red flag laws and waiting periods. All of that affects real people, and we have to do more than just dry facts on that. I didn't know that. Uh, sorry, switching topics completely. Clover saying that the NFA tax stamp is refundable if you get rejected. I had no idea about that. I didn't. Me neither. That's pretty cool. Yeah. No state issues. I mean, not many people file for them. That's what I'm saying. I know a. I think I can probably count on one hand the number of people I know over how, how many years I've been on the planet now. A lot. Uh, four plus decades, and, and I think I count on one hand the people I know that have been rejected. You know what I mean. Most people don't file, don't file it, and you know what I'm saying. Yeah, um, well, it's that, a federal offense to even file it in in a yeah, illegally. Yeah, I mean, they attempt it if they're not gonna, if they know they're not. Yeah, gonna. they're they're concealed carry holders, or they have some type of, you know, or they buy firearms on the regular or something. I mean, they pretty much know they're they're clean. Um, but, um, but yeah. But, you know, again, it gets back into the issue of the state, and I don't know. But the thing is, here's what you got to remember what I said in the comment out there is you could it's, – it's possible that you could file the paperwork, pay the 200 bucks, get the stamp. The 200 bucks is for the stamp, and for those that don't know, it is a it is a actual freaking $200 stamp. It is not some red thing on a piece of paper where they, like, stamp your form with the, the – the, rubber stamp no it's, it's an like actual it look and stick it on your paper like a postage it looks stamp. like a postage stamp it is a legit stamp so you pay 200 bucks for the stamp you're not paying 200 bucks for the firearm that you're creating so you know if you go through all that process they approve it and then for whatever reason your weird state says oh you've got a stamp where you can you can build this but you know what you can't own that in this state well, you've paid 200 bucks for the stamp. You haven't paid, you get what I'm saying? So at that point, I mean, it, it wouldn't be refundable because you got what you paid for. You got the approval, you got the stamp. It's just the federal approval and the stamp. You just don't have state approval. But that would be a good question to ask a gun shop or, you know, somebody that, SOT or you know something. Mm -hmm. People have got experience with it. I haven't, yeah. but it's not going to be something you're going to get much people experience with. Yeah, because I I can't, yeah. I you know for the I, you know I don't want to I don't want to err on the side of the the AFT for sure. But I've got to think if you put info in there and it's not legal for you to own it in that state, it's like I, I almost would think it would get kicked back. But you've got to go through, especially if you e-file or you go through a kiosk or something like that, odds are you're going through a gun shop. And so odds are if you're going through a gun shop in your state to go through the paperwork, they're going to tell you, hey, you can't have that here, you know. Probably. Most likely. I mean, yeah. Things, things happen in all kinds of small businesses because most gun shops are small businesses. But yeah, most likely. Well, you got also have Clio to sign off. I mean, there's other ways to do it, but you also got to have chief law enforcement officer to sign off. And at that point, they're going to tell you, and that's yep. just while you're getting the paperwork filled out. And they're going to say, "Whoa, what are you doing here? Uh, you can't have this in this state," you know. Yeah, one hundred percent. And if you're in a place, <laughs> all I add is if you're in a place with more than one option 
ask around or you know ask around and find out which shop has the most experience because oh yeah get a consensus said, yeah you know, they're gonna they're gonna have seen the weird yeah. stuff yeah. and then there's also people that live in places like ours that have the work around with the non-nfa shotguns with the non-nfa um firearms like the ar-15s with the uh vertical stock on the front that are under 26 inches which is 100 legal in jersey if you can believe it or not but i can't have a short barrel rifle and i can't own an ar pistol but i can own a non-nfa firearm that's based on an ar-15 with a vertical grip and 11 and a half inch barrel and even have a birdcage flash hider on it all that's illegal <laughs> right I think those are super critical. As soon as the pistol braces came out, I could see that becoming an avenue for, um, what do they call it, precedence. And what you're talking about is sort of backwards engineering. So you're, you know, you're you know, hacking uh, the, the law. So if the law says you can't have a shotgun with this and this and the other thing, then they start off and say, well, okay, what if it isn't a shotgun to begin with? Then does the this, that, and the other thing even apply? No. Well, then we'll, let's, let's build it so that it's never become a shotgun. And now mm -hmm. we can have other thing that is a gun, but it's not a shotgun because they have a definition for that. And it's this, that, and the other thing. And I think that those, some people will call them loopholes, but I consider those compliance with poorly written law. And yeah. poorly written law had a reason, right? I'm not a lawyer or nothing, but from what I understand, you create a law for to, to accomplish something for a reason. And those kind of things change, circumstances change, technology and society and trends and everything change. So those laws can be challenged or whatever. And the reason you challenge them is because they are no longer apply. So when you have things like the firearms you're basically talking about, which is a receiver that adds a barrel and some other things, but it doesn't get to the definition of a shotgun and it's just a firearm. And then you get to the pistols with maybe we leave the magazine attached and now it's not a, a, an AR-15 or whatever. Those things that comply yet show that those things you're concerned about are non-issues like a pistol brace, however many millions of people own AR-15 AK platform pistols with these braces. And since the ATF has fluctuated and wavered on whether or not it was a crime to shoulder it, and they've co literally come down and said, now nah, go ahead and shoulder it, it's not a big deal. That creates precedence. And just like what you're talking about in New Jersey, we should, I'm looking for our national level organizations to capitalize on that and and move towards applying that precedence instead of letting them, you know, continue to ignore the precedence and continue to do what they're attempting to do. But anyway, that's uh, that's definitely going off there. So we did do a uh, we have a scroll at the bottom of the screen. I'm able to do this each week because I've got Patreons, people that uh, subscribe to what we do the same way somebody might subscribe to like PBS on the TV or uh, NPR or maybe a magazine subscription, or nowadays like somebody might subscribe to Disney or something like that. So uh, thanks to the people, we have 149 people that subscribe to our projects over on Patreon. They make it possible for the software and the, uh, the servers and the, the internet stuff it needs to keep all these websites going and to keep all the projects juggling. But it also pays for the, a lot of the time. It keeps the house here and allows me to devote most of my time towards these projects. I know that Clover and Tony both have Patreons and other projects out there like their stores. If I jump to my big screen here, both of these guys have online places you can, uh, oh wait, hold on. let me uh, 
before I start getting into the patches here we're about to talk about, Pat had a great point that I've got on the screen here, and I just rolled right through talking about that point. Pat in a bunker from Nebraska says, don't get discouraged. Good things happen and bad things happen. You just got to keep moving forward and keep a positive attitude. Much appreciated. I, I agree with that philosophy. The best thing we can do is, is take on challenges and strides so the next generation is capable and eager instead of discouraged and feeble. What do you guys want to throw in on that one? I totally agree, um, especially at, at living in a place like Jersey where we take L's all the time. We take losses, but we also get wins. Celebrate them both. Uh, celebrate the wins. Uh, with the losses, just double down and work harder. If you need to step away and get a breath, do that. Depend on your friends that live in other states to keep your motivation up because someone somewhere, when your friends in the community, is still continuing to fight somewhere else and you can help them, support them, spread their word. There's a lot of good news out there, and you have to enjoy it. Don't let it get you down. It's easier said than done, but you got to work at being positive, too. Man, that's a great point, too. I don't know if Clover can add to that. I bet you can. Nah, I'm good. But that is the truth. you got to work at being positive sometimes. And then other times, it's like you don't even got to work at it. So yeah. DJ saying, uh, Tony uh, wore my 2A4E shirt to an open Not house at a, at a local gun-related business. It generated a few comments and one conversation. Well, I guess I'm not wearing it today. Normally, I would be wearing it. But uh, it's a blue shirt in the cool color blue, this color blue-ish. And it has, says the, uh, it has this logo. Wait, yeah, it has this logo in white. And then underneath it, it says gun control equals racism. And, uh, and it's a shirt that Tony will tell you he created it so that when we go to rallies and stuff, we can have a consistent shirt. And in this case, it did exactly what it's supposed to do or you know, designed to do, which is awesome, open people's awareness and start a conversation. Just start a conversation. I, I, I love that. <clears throat> and uh, I appreciate it, DJ. It's good seeing you guys. I was actually posting pictures up from the Nebraska Diversity Shoot uh, last week. Uh, that's where I met DJ at, and that was pretty awesome. Okay, so I started out talking about our Patreon. So down here on the scroll, it says our Patreons make our projects like these possible. Thank you. I was saying Clover and Tony also have Patreons. So uh, our Patreon is called patreon.com slash gun websites. We'll have links to those guys and others. I also have a scroll down here saying ask gun cues doc or put in hashtag ask gun cues in the text and you can win a cool patch so i've been wiggling that screen all around over here on the uh, live thing i guess you're not seeing that anymore but i've been moving this uh dealy around we only have six entries for these patches so uh just quickly we're gonna as we wind up here we're gonna have a quick oh shit something just fell down in my back there we're gonna have a quick look at a cat go running around in here cats like to go in the back and knock things over I think a wheels fell down damn it so we're going to have a quick giveaway for a bunch of different random patches i got this one i think this has to do with the uh put these sunflower seeds in your pocket so when you die we'll know where you were something or something some of that effect uh this is uh from battle buddy three gun which is a cool organization that uh champions differently abled and shooting sports repealgunlaws.com what does anybody know what this one is Tony, Clover, do you guys know what this one even is? No. It's old. 
repealgunlaws.com, an actual patch, but it's got construction-type Velcro on the back. That's unique and different than all other patches I've ever seen. We got to uh, Clover's Hug a Fud, the orange version. Got Tony's 2A4E we talked about a moment ago, the PVC big version. This one's from Crump, and it's a 3% Patriots of Virginia. We've got a Wheeled and Well-Armed, one of his first version of a, his logo patch. Got a prototype Wolverine 3D printed Velcro patch. A flag from Mozambique that I don't know why I put it in here. Hopefully nobody picks it because I like it. And then <laughs> it's the old flag with an AK-47 on it. And then uh, this patch from Savoir, a sewing company that did these super cool looking sewing machines. Not that many people probably did sewing machines as much as patch people, but anyway, that's the uh, the random patches that'll be going out. So the way this works is the software that we're using, the system that we're using to host this whole show here, uh, gives us this tool that we can use to do a random giveaway. And at this point, the people like Brian who typed in Ask Gun Cues, actually, it's a good thing you put it in there twice because it has to be spelled correctly. Hashtag Ask Gun Cues. Now, FYI, it does not matter about the capitalization. I am the type of person where I capitalize words in a hashtag because it makes it easier for me to see them. Uh, but it doesn't matter. Either way, a lot of people don't like doing that. So anyway, we've got seven people who have uh, put in there. Pat just made it number eight. And here we go. We'll get rid of that thing there. Anybody want to wager on which patch they take as it starts to go? Yeah. Go. What do you, what do you think? About to somebody's going to somebody's gonna take the Mozambique because you said you'd like it. <laughs> oh, I don't think it. Well, we'll find out because it is Woods. Woods. P-N-W Woods. Nothing in here has anything to do with bacon. Uh, nothing in here has anything to do with shotgun shooting. I'm not sure. Oh, I fucking took the AK-5. All right. So do I have anything going to Woods right now? I feel like I might have. I have a couple of people who have been buying stuff on eBay, and I owe stuff like this, giveaway stuff too. So I think I feel like I had something ready for Woods, and he said wait until something. But uh, thanks for that. Um, just for S's and G's, for those who know what that is, we'll just click this draw again and just see what happens. Just to see what happens. Just because a lot of chats wouldn't click the button twice, even though there's no obligation or requirement to click the button twice. We're fun. Oh, snap. Clover Tech win. <laughs> do, you, do you just want your own patch? Let me send you one of your own patches. Daylight, a dollar short. What do you want? <laughs> I oh, don't. I guess I could, you know, Can I give it away? I guess. Mm. I mean, that's like a very communist socialist thing to do, but I guess you can. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I <laughs> thought it was uh, like uh, philanthropy or something out there. I don't know. I wonder, I wonder who else out there that has been... So, so in other words, somebody has to do something in such a way to get Clover's eye quickly. We've got Smeggy, who's saying congratulations to Wood. And then we got Mick Bean, who I don't think even is, put it is, in way too is, um, So is the, was it the bicep guy? The guy that was talking oh, about my, the 45 ACP earlier. Is he still out there? So in my other words, Clover is saying, looking for that one. I'm looking for it. That's a it's while back. He's got to be out there still, though. My four bicep. Looking for the comment. There we go. Something about a three day waiting period. Three day waiting period. Military pilots issued the shot shells. We talked yeah, about that one. About the, yeah, he was talking Three-way about the forty five. 
Oh yeah, I did a nine millimeter forty five ACP tactical quiz this week because of you know it needed to be done already, and uh, I dug in there. I can't remember which one it is, but one of the nine millimeters, you know, there's a bunch of nine millimeters. One of them is three oh eight brass chopped down, and that's what makes it different than the other nine millimeters. Is it has a thicker brass? Um, How crazy is that? Um, so we still don't have bicep coming up, so. I can tag him. Maybe he's listening and he just can't, just can't. Uh, yeah, we'll give him a minute. But we'll wrap it up then. So take a minute. And what do you guys got coming up? Uh, we know that Tony's got the 2A4E diversity shoots. And we know that Clover's got the uh, multiple projects happening on YouTube on various uh, channels as well as the other social platforms. Uh, but is there anything else that you guys have coming up that people might not know about? Well, again, yeah, my next diversity shoot is on the 28th. Uh, yeah, I was supposed to be going to, uh, to see Rick Ector and help Rick Ector uh, at Legally Armed Detroit with his uh, 11th annual shoot going on there. So if you guys can reach out, maybe support him or support some of the people going up to visit him because there are a lot of firearms instructors there. That's definitely something I was going to do, but I'm in the middle of a lot of stuff right now and I can't do it kind of disappointed, but that's something that's going on in the industry that maybe a lot of people don't know about. He's going to be, tra uh, what is it? <clears throat> He's going for 3,000 women to be trained on the 30th and the 31st of this month at two different ranges in the Detroit area. Yeah, that's an awesome project, and I think it was Gun Food was on with Sandhill shooter it was either the other day it might have just even been the other day and, uh -huh. and i posted something in there like a question it, so they were having this chat and it was a good chat there was a bunch of people in there this is on sandhills's chat on thursday there was a bunch of people in there and i posted a thing like q dash is there any kind of meetup after since there's so many instructors in town is there any kind of meetup after the event you know is there any kind of cool meetups happening or any kind of planned get-togethers or something like that and i'm asking because i'm curious but i think he might have thought because i'm asking that i'm going to be there so he sent me a uh kind of one of the things that i'm sure you got as somebody who would be showing up as an instructor because i'm not, i mean i'm technically an instructor i guess but i haven't instructed nothing in forever so i don't consider myself <laughs> like useful as an instructor I mean, I've got the credentials, but anyway. So um, uh, I got the info, and man, what my goal would be to this time next year be in a position where we're in and we're able to generate attention and resources to get to help with that kind of project. Um, it's definitely doable. Basically, he sent me the. Uh, the fact sheet or the data sheet that they'd send out to the different attending instructors that offers information about the local uh, options for uh, uh, what I'm trying to say, hotels and that kind of thing, rental cars yeah. and that kind of thing, and the deals and stuff that they might have kind of tried to arrange. You know, it's difficult, I'm sure, to arrange something. Hey, I want to do something. I might be bringing a bunch of people in the town. I might just have a few people show up. So somebody can't say, hey, have this great deal. And then have two people show up and now they got to give you everything at cost. Like that doesn't really, you know what I mean? It's, so it's probably difficult. But anyway, I'd like to see next year because the cost, I can't remember off the top of my head, but they're reasonable. And like nothing was, I mean, it's just going to Detroit. It's not like you're going to, you know, 
I can't think of a fancy place like like Vegas or something where you got to yeah. even Vegas you can go to cheap, but you know it's not like the most expensive vacation or nothing. But at the same time, everybody's doing that out of pocket. Nobody's going to get rich and famous from a bunch of new ladies who are experienced in firearms, you know. But at the same time, how cool is it going to be to have all those instructors in town for a little while? So my goal would be to get to the point where next year we're able to help facilitate uh, the the what's you call it like the travel and that kind of thing being off the table, you know, just, Hey, let's create something that helps them, you know, Hey, the, you know, forever. It's not like one of them deals where every increment we get another instructor there. So it's like, you know, the instructors figure out for themselves who needs the help, but you know, we just help raise them a bunch of funds on the side or something or in conjunction. Anyhow, did you ever get a call back from, or a thing back from bicep? Doesn't look like it. I didn't. So I moved on to DJ. He says he wants the three gun wheelchair. Right on. So this is Battle Buddy three gun. And it's sort of, uh, I don't know what to call that. I guess like a, an outdoor chair. It's got a regular chair, but it's got this extension out front with a third wheel that's all super heavy duty and stuff. And I've seen people setting these that have never been differently abled or anything or ever even injured. You can tell they're just really torquing on it. So this thing strong and then it's got this rest area because depending on what you got going on you may or may not need that and definitely anybody can appreciate it so it almost it's not really uh what's that other thing called where the things would be going in the front and the person would pull you from the front like a little cart that's a thing right? a rickshaw rickshaw thank you it's almost like a that kind of concept because this is designed for the person to be here and then for these levers here to pivot the person's center of balance over the folk over the wheels here and make it real easy to tear around. And what they do at Battle Buddy is bring regular non-issue, you know, people without issues and set them in these chairs and then have them team, like do a team event, shooting basically a three-gun event with rifle. Maybe it's not three-gun, two-gun event with rifle and pistols, though. And just adds another element and brings inclusivity. Is that the right word? Like brings, you know, awareness to folks that are, you know, have all different kinds of issues that might require a chair. And you never know, you can have a broke leg and require a chair for two months or three months or three years. You know, we never know what's going on. So we've got massive technology in these things and internet, the technology there lets us talk about and be aware of these different facets of our community. And this one is an awesome one. They're active on Instagram. I'll find their Instagram thing over here. And uh, they're more than just offering like options for people that are differently abled, they're bringing that whole concept of doing a, an event in a chair out into the regular shooting world. So really cool project. So yeah, I went, I don't know, earlier in the year, I went and bought like 50 bucks worth of their patches. And that's again, the kind of stuff that our Patreons make possible uh, so that we can make people aware of these things. Every time we post a picture like this, I'll take a snapshot of this and put it on Instagram. It'll tag Tony and Clover. Some of these other organizations. Nobody knows what this one is. Nobody remembers this. Let's think back is to it, uh, 2009, 2010, maybe. 2009. Maybe, later. maybe this was 14. This might have been 2014. Now that I'm thinking about it. Is it Definitely. from uh, Second Amendment Foundation? Nope. Individual. One individual person is responsible for this one, and you both know him. It's a him. I just. Uh, maybe him. So we got Crump, we got Wildemall Armed, we got Clover, Tony, and then 
Battle Buddy. I don't know who anybody at Savoir. And then who could this be? Maybe somebody who is known to be uh, some kind of an artisan. <laughs> I'm an idiot. Yeah. All right. Oh, okay. Is Tony. <laughs> so I'm like, why hard. do I know that? And why is it eating at me? <laughs> that was a long time ago. So that was actually before the first patch batch even. So I'm pretty sure it was like 16 or 14. I think. But anyhow, uh, that was Tony's attempt and he got kind of screwed. If I remember right, he got like, screwed by getting them cheap but then they gave him cheap because they didn't put velcro on it so what he did is use construction velcro because that's his you know he went to his wheelhouse and i think i would have told him if i did tell him dude what are you doing you got to sew velcro on there you got to get the different kind of velcro and then sew it on there and a million years later and it's if i tried to get it off of there i guess i could but a million years later it's on there still working i guess like i say if i was pulling this on and off a million times it would have never stayed on there but end up working anyway with that we say thanks to the folks who joined us uh live uh we did do the shout out to the patreons at the bottom there and gave the i gotta write this down so i don't forget uh, dj ended up getting the uh dj got the Battle buddy. Three gun and it was Woods that got the AK flag. All right. So thanks everybody for that. Um, I was kind of letting you guys close out. We'll be at right around two hours. Um, Tony was saying he's got the shoot coming up. Clover, anything coming up? Not really. A little out of town uh, into next week for a little while, so don't really have a whole lot planned uh, as far as the Clover Tech channel, anyway. Right on. So, um, when is the next thing that we all might get together for? Is it Shot Show? Definitely, I'm going to Shot. Quite a few people going to Tulsa, I think, in November. I don't know if I'll be able to get to that one, but. Uh... Oh, I guess the other thing might be the gun rights policy, but Tony, that's not in your whatever. Yeah, they never crossed over to Mississippi. I don't know what's going on with that. That's true. Uh, I mean, uh, they've been in Florida before, but they then they've been in Chicago. But yeah, you're right. They don't really go East Coast. I'm guessing it's because of cost. I'm guessing. Problem. But you know, I think you're right because they don't. Even when you look at their historically, they tend to you know hang out in, in the West. Shots. See, here's here's my thing. I can't be in Texas, uh, so it, we, whether NRA or any of the other things, uh, my ex girlfriend lives in Texas, and my wife is cool <laughs> with the two A thing, but uh, I don't even want to deal with her thinking in a little bit, in any way that I'm going to see my ex girlfriend. Yeah, that's right. Worth it. I can hear that. Yeah, I got 49 other states I can be in. Uh, Texas isn't one of them. So what Tony's saying is all his exes live in Texas. Wow. <laughs> the one that counts. <laughs> all right. With that, then, we'll, we'll, we'll reach out for an hour. Got aimed at 90 minutes and hit two two hours right almost on the dot. So thanks, everybody, for showing up. We'll be back next week. And uh, lots of stuff going on. 
thanks for being active and thanks for participating with all the, the live shows and the people that are out there getting things done. They definitely appreciate your support. Thank you. This episode, Nobody Beats the House. The guys and gals oh, let's go with one. The guys and gals at Gun Web. Come on. Come on, Woods. What do you got? The guys and gals at GunWebsites.com encourage you to take a CCW class every year, practice once a month, and carry every day. Thank you for watching GunWebsites.com.